Uh, King Jesus, this is your day and we are your people. I pray for us, Lord. Um, I pray that, that, that the stuff of Christmas uh, would be redeemed for your glory. That, that, that the different things that we deal with around this time of year, uh, whether it's presents or whether it's you know family or whatever we got going on, Lord God, that all these things would ultimately be used to celebrate the reality, Jesus, that you came to save us from, your, from ourselves for your glory. That you came to forgive us for our sins. That you came to give us life. And you came, Jesus, and I pray that we would remember that's why we're celebrating. And I pray that we'd celebrate in anticipation, await your return. And Lord God, that we would live our lives for your glory by enjoying you, by turning to you, and living to know you. We love you, Jesus. Pray this in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, so it's Advent season, which is awesome because it really is a season of anticipation. Uh, my kids and I have uh, a Playmobil Advent calendar we're working through, and every day we pop the new thing and a horse comes out or whatever we're doing, and you might be doing whatever you do in your house to get ready for Christmas. And, and the awesome thing about that is it really is a season of anticipation and, and really a season of waiting and looking and longing, uh, whatever that thing might be, whether it's something clearly Christ-centered, or something you redeem. Uh, you know, oh man, the, the peppermint spice party $10 latte is coming out, and I can't wait to get my hands on one because they don't come out till Thanksgiving. Uh, or, or maybe it's it's the uh, going to look at a camel down the street. Uh, if you haven't done that, it is awesome. Or uh, Olympic Manor driving around and seeing the Christmas lights. Or whatever it is that you do as a family to get ready to celebrate uh, the, the year. And, and as we look uh, at Advent, I think much of this time of year is really, at least as I think about it in my preaching and what we're looking at in the Bible, it's really a lot more about adoration than application. There are times of year we say, okay, well, what does the gospel say? How do we sort of put that into practice? How do we respond to the gospel? It's not that we're not doing that, but that I think it is a really great time where you're just to focus on the worship of Jesus and the reality of what he has done. And today we're going to look at that by looking at the two Advents. And the word Advent is an interesting word. It means the arrival of a noble person. And the Bible has two Advents. And we can't forget that. There's one where they were waiting for the noble person, Messiah, God's Messiah, Jesus to come. And also as his people, we await for him to come uh, again. And, and, and the reason why we have such anticipation is really the reality of the gospel. God made everything good. And human beings broke it, and human beings have turned from God, and human beings have turned to our own passions, our own things. We've sinned against God, and yet God promised to come and fix it, and He did so in the person of Jesus. He came and sent His Son, and the people of God were waiting in anticipation for God's King, God's chosen one, His Christ, His Messiah, the King who was going to come, who was going to put things back, and we're going to look at that a little bit. But not only that, the King came, the King lived. The king died, the king rose again, and the king has promised to return to finish fully what he started, to put everything back the way it's supposed to be. And so as Christians, this isn't just about celebrating, which is so worthy of celebration, the fact that the baby was born, but the baby grew up to be a man to save us from our sin, who's coming back to put the world back the way it's supposed to be. And so as we turn to Advent, I hope that we can, we can celebrate that. And, and so we're going to look at, first, what they were looking forward to, what they were anticipating, four things. And then we'll turn to what we're now anticipating. They were, they were probably anticipating and waiting for more, but four things they were anticipating and waiting for the people of God before Christ came. They were anticipating that God 
would redeem individuals to himself, that he would make things right between himself and individuals. But not only that, they were, they were looking and hoping and waiting for God to make a people right with himself. And not only that, they were looking and waiting and hoping for God to make people right with people. And not only that, they were looking and waiting for God to make the creation that we ultimately are responsible for the breaking of to get fixed. And so we'll hop around the Old Testament a little bit, and then we'll get the New Testament. And I've given myself a time constraint of like 20 minutes, so hey... I'm just going to talk twice as fast and preach twice as hard and then cover the same ground I normally cover. Um, but let's look at this first idea, that God would make human beings right with himself through the king. So Jeremiah 31, 31. So we're going to be in the Old Testament, mostly in Isaiah, but here we're going to start Jeremiah 31, 31. And when we read these texts, you need to consider as we're hearing these things, uh, yes, absolutely, with a Christian lens, absolutely knowing the Messiah has come, but putting ourselves even in their shoes, knowing that this is what they're waiting for. And even this is what we have actually already received. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Now, the context of this is uh, it's Jeremiah's time. The people of God used to have Israel and Judah and the kingdom. It's been split. And now they're just down to the city of Jerusalem. And that's all that is left the armies are at the gates, and it doesn't look like it's going to go well for anybody. And the worst part about it is there's just rampant idolatry, and people have turned to the worship of pretend gods. They've turned to the love of stuff. They've turned away from having justice and grace and kindness and mercy towards their neighbor. And this is what God is saying, and only the faithful are going to hear it, which are few, by the way, at this point in time. This is what he's saying to them in the midst of the mess and the chaos and the rubble. Behold, the days are coming. Whenever you see that in the Old Testament, the days that are coming, that's the day of the Lord. That's the day of the King. That's Advent. That's the arrival of the noble person, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with those of the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the old covenant that I made with the fathers on the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. He saves his people. He redeems his people. He is to them a husband, and yet they turn from him. And now listen how God responds to this. This is the beauty of the gospel. We turn and do things that are in rebellion against God, and God doesn't give up on us. That if, if we're people who have been saved, people who have coughed up our sin, been saved by Jesus, and been given new hearts, and this is how he treats people who treat him poorly. Listen not like the covenant I made with the fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them, I mean, such intimate language here, uh, the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant they broke. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law, this word is the Torah, I will put my Torah, which is more than just rules, it's the teaching and the rules, the admonishment, the wisdom and the instruction of the Lord. But you have to translate it with one word so they uh, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor, uh, teach his neighbor, and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. For the least of them, the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. We have such a short amount of time, so the one thing I want to pull out from this is the reality that God saves individual people, that God is going to redeem and make right individual people, right? 
that Jesus saves, who does he save? We all have names. If you love Jesus, your name is written in the book of life. He has the hairs on your head numbered, and he saved you as an individual. That he's done this to you individually. Now, it's also important to remember that Christianity is not a, uh, it's not a individual sport, right? It's not pole vaulting. It's football, basketball. I don't know, one of those things with a ball where there's more than one guy on the field. One of those things. Uh, go with me to Isaiah 9, classic Christmas verse. Not only is he saving individuals, he's saving the people. Isaiah 9, starting in verse 2. This is in what is called the prophetic perfect. He's speaking in present tense. In the 8th century BC, before Jesus, because when God says it's done, it's as good as done. This is what's going to happen when Messiah comes. This is going to happen in that happening when the noble person comes, when the king arrives. Verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep, deep darkness, on them light has shone. Praise the Lord. The setup for, from verse 1, which I didn't mean, is these are people outside of what the people of God were thought as the people of God. The Gentiles, the non-Jews, which unless you have a Jewish background, that's you and me, by the way, that he's speaking of. But it's not just that it's them and us, it's now them, one them, or they. Uh, on them will I have shown, you have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy, they rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil for the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his pressure, you have broken as in the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior, battle tone, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. There will be no more war when it's all said and done. But this all gets triggered by verse 6. And this might be a new Christmas verse. Christmas verse, Christmas card. For to us a child is born. And to us a son is given. And the government shall be on his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. Of the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and uphold it with justice, praise the Lord, and with righteousness. I'll say, I got like a box I'm working with here. Where I have to stay here in the microphone. I got to step back a little bit. I'm getting excited because it's Christmas. To establish and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord will do this. So it's not just that we as individuals, but we have a king, which means there is a kingdom and a kingdom people. And he's redeeming a people. That's you and me. And they were looking forward to that, that there's going to be a people who are redeemed by this king who's going to come. That they wouldn't have understood an idea of personal salvation alone, but that God was coming to save persons that make up a people, and that people's a people together. That's why church is so important. Christianity is not an individual deal. We're a people together. Not only that. It makes individuals right with individuals. Uh, Isaiah 65, verse 17. For behold, I create the new heavens and the new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. Listen to this. 
And Marshall, that we heard in the sound of weeping and cry of distress. Uh, skip down to 24. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. He knows what you need before you ask it, praise the Lord. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like an ox, and the dust shall be in the serpent's foot. They shall not hurt or destroy in uh, all my holy mountains, says the Lord. There's this time of peace and redemption. And part of that peace is that people have peace towards each other. There's this time, as we saw in Isaiah 9, of unprecedented justice coming and righteousness and goodness towards each other. Uh, not only that, Malachi chapter 4 says of John the Baptist, who's the one who's going to come and, and come and proclaim the coming of this baby. That even in the wake of the one who's just coming to announce this baby, this noble one, this advent, that the hearts of children will be turned to their parents, and the hearts of parents will be turned to their children. That there's something happened, there's something coming, there's something that they see happening, and that's namely the gospel of Jesus when he comes and reconciles people to himself, that as people live reconciled lives, what do we see in Ephesians? That people begin to forgive each other as God has forgiven them. Because if you understand that he's done this Jeremiah 31, 31 thing, and if you understand he's done this Isaiah 9 thing, and if you understand that he's done this and doing really ultimately this uh, Isaiah 65 thing, and this Malachi thing, and all these things that are coming and snowballing in the Old Testament with the advent of this baby and this king, Fireworks and 
do some stuff. He could have done those things, potentially, theoretically. It doesn't say so in the Bible, but walk with me for a second. It's because God promised that his king was going to come to restore and was going to put things back the way they're supposed to be. People aren't supposed to be sick. People aren't supposed to be blind. Uh, people aren't supposed to be hungry. People aren't supposed to be thirsty. People aren't supposed to be in that state. And Jesus has come. That's why it's that way. That's why it's that way when you read those stories. Because Jesus came to restore. And this quote is quoted by Jesus when John the Baptist's disciples come and say, are you the one or we should, look, should we look for another? Has Advent come? Are you the noble one or should we seek another king? Are you Messiah or someone else? And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, the blind see, the deaf hear, and the poor have the good news preached to them. This is what Jesus came to do. Because Jesus is in the business of moving exactly where they're supposed to be. So these are some of the things they were waiting for. And now with the remainder of time, what are some of the things we're waiting for? If that's what they were waiting for in the first Advent, we see how it's come to fruition in Jesus' house, come to, come to be in Jesus. What are some of the things we're waiting for? We said they were waiting for God to redeem individuals to himself. We were waiting for, they were waiting for God to redeem a people to himself. God was going to redeem individuals to each other, one to another. And also what? That God was going to redeem his creation. So what are we waiting for? For God to redeem individuals to himself. For God to redeem a people to himself. For God to make right individuals to individuals and God to put his creation back. Go with me to Revelation 21. I will read it and we'll pick some stuff out of it. Then I saw the new heaven and the new earth. Remember that one? For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard... Uh, a loud voice from their front throne saying, the dwell Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, who sits on the throne? A king. Which king is this? This is King Jesus, that king. The king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. Remember that one? It's finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega. First and last letters of the Greek alphabet. The beginning and the end. I am the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God and he will be my son. So what's he doing here? Number one, he's redeeming individuals, right? Redeeming individuals to himself. Why? And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Uh, he's not just going to sort of collectively wipe tears. We get this picture that somehow, and mind you, it's a word picture, this is prophetic, but somehow he's going to wipe the tears off. You, you can't wipe the tears off of everybody's eyes at one time, right? It's, it's, it's an individual thing. He's going to wipe the tears off of your eyes. Off of your eyes he will wipe those tears. Now, mind you, it's a word picture. Is that exactly, you know, is he going to walk around with the world's largest thing of Kleenex? It's prophetic. <laughs> the big deal is that he is personally going to be involved in wiping these things away in your life, personally. 
But it's not just you. It's not just one. When he comes back, because he's going to return and do these things, right? He's going to come with a cry of command. On a, seated on a white horse, in a white robe, and everyone is going to know he is back. Worldwide, there will be no mistake at the return of our King Jesus. He is coming back, and he is going to put everything back the way it's supposed to be. And one of these things is in your life, personally. You take that to the bank. But number two, and I heard a loud voice from the stone saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Uh, he will dwell with them and they will be his people. I mean, Joe did such a good job of this last week, talking about what it means for us to be his, the people of his possession. And, and we're so blessed to have Joe. He did a really, really fantastic job of packing that. So I won't go much further than that. But that he's redeeming a people. The, the church is his people. Uh, that when we get together on Sunday morning, we're participating in this great grand thing that he's doing in the universe and ultimately do at the end of time. We'll be there as a people, as the people of God. But not only at individuals to individuals, right? Because here in this thing, we see, uh, and he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Right? Why is there problems in, in the world? Or even in uh, your family, or in the church, right? Whatever that might be. There's sin. We're after our stuff, and we want our stuff, and not somebody else's stuff, and we're in the cosmic dog pile and trying to displace everybody else from the place in the center of the universe, not putting God in his right place in the center of the universe, and we're not doing the things. We're not looking at Jesus and saying, Jesus is forgiving me, so I need to forgive others, but in this time and a place, as he's made all things new, we are without that impulse, without, without sin, without sinning against each other, without doing each other wrong, we're trying to put ourselves ahead of somebody else. No one takes cuts in line. Can you imagine? No one's ever going to cut you off the line. It's, it's Christmas season. There's no, you know, I, I don't think anyone's fighting for Cabbage Patch anyways in Christmas. When I was a kid, I felt like more on the news. Oh man, Cabbage Patch. Uh, was I the only one that watched the news in 85? <laughs> it was true. It was there. It was scary. Cabbage Patch. It was a party. There's no impulse. There, that impulse is gone. In the new heavens and earth, because you're made new. It's hard to imagine living the rest of eternity without sin. Not because you're good, but because God is good, because you've been redeemed, washed clean, and made new. That's what he's doing. But not only that, he's putting the creation back together, right? After he's seated on the throne, he said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. What did he say? 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The thing is made new. All of it. No more droughts. No more snowstorms. Apparently you can hang out with jackals. Which I think is going to be cool. Isaiah 35 says so. I don't know what it's like to have a jackal, but I'm, I'm assuming it's going to be awesome. So... In many ways, the things they were waiting for for the first advent uh, are things they're waiting for in the second. But the reality that we need to see as Christians is that, that it's not like um, these are heavily uh, bifurcated, demarcated, cut off, cold off, and separated. 
Because when Jesus came, when the king came to start this wonderful gospel reality, to save people, to redeem people, to move in the universe, to begin to put the universe back the way it was supposed to be before we broke it with our sin, he's still doing these things, right? Individuals redeemed by God, praise the Lord. A people, look around, a people redeemed by God as a little foretaste, our church is a little foretaste of the big redemption, the big party where the whole church is redeemed by God. Not only that, but we actually have a chance as we do life in community to be redeemed to each other. We have a chance to live out the Matthew 5 reality. That if we've sinned against someone trusting in the gospel, going to them saying, I'm sorry. We know you can say you're sorry to someone this year because God has forgiven you so much. He's redeemed you of so much. Or the Matthew 18 reality. You can go in confidence. You feel like if someone doesn't realize they've sinned against you, you can actually go to them and you can say, oh, that really hurt my feelings when you did that. Sorry. We do it face to face like the church and we can. And we do it. And then we wait with anticipation. I know what it's like. I'm I got four kids. I'm in school. I'm up late. I have a job. Goats. I grind my own meat and I get sick. And my sickness isn't anything. I'm not here for that. I know some of you have been laid up, sick, messed up. It's gone. Working hard. I was thinking about that. So I am a hippie, and so I grind my own meat, right? And I'm grinding my own meat, and I begin to sweat, and I have this moment where God brings a verse to mind. Or I remember from my memory first that God made the promise that we're going to earn our food by the sweat of our brow and realizing that is what I'm actually do, literally doing right now. There's no metaphor at work here. I'm sweating so that I can eat my food. That is over in the kingdom. That's over. So I'll put that. So this is about adoration. The thing we're adoring is Jesus is doing all this, has done all these things, doing all these things, and is working all these things. And we're waiting with anticipation for the restoration of all things. But then what do we do with these things? Right? What do we leave here with? The reality is that God is redeeming individuals. Which means if you don't know Jesus, today is the day to be redeemed. Be saved, cough up your sin, get forgiven for your sin, be redeemed, be made new, live. God is seeking to save you from yourself, and today is the day. Not only that, but you, friends, not just me, because I'm standing here with this awkward microphone in my box where I'm trying not to move around so it messes with the audio and you can't hear me. Uh, you are carriers of the gospel of Jesus Christ to Seattle. God has put Anchor Church together in his grace and his mercy as a gift to this city. And you, friends, are carriers of the reality that Jesus saves sinners. So go. He's redeeming individuals. Go in that confidence. You don't know who he's going to redeem at work tomorrow. You don't know who he's redeeming at the park or at school or whatever tomorrow. You don't know what he's doing. But I know that he's redeeming individuals. And what is he redeeming to a people? If, if you're not part of a church and you're here and you're visiting or whatever because it's Christmas, man, if you are a Christian, you are called to be part of a community of faith. You can't do half the stuff you're called to do in the New Testament if you're not walking with other Christians. And if this is home for you, if this is church, man, get involved. Get somebody, disciple you, disciple other people, help people. There's people in need. we got stockings and stuff we're doing and potlucking. Potlucking to the glory of God. It's a beautiful thing when people sit and eat together, get involved. Because he is redeeming the people and we get to then taste. And, hey, if there's somebody you need to be reconciled to, go to them. 
Say you're sorry. If someone's sinned against you, go to him. Tell him. Be ready. Because God's at work. And finally, we wait with great anticipation this year. Praising Jesus and waiting. Come, Jesus. Come. That's how the book of Revelation ends. Check your heart. Are we, are we just looking for the next thing? Or are we looking for the next thing? King Jesus restoring all things. I want a little over, so Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Uh, King Jesus, this is your day, and we are your people. You are making all things new. You are. You have forgiven us. You will forgive us. You're making a people. You'll help us to be reconciled one to another. And Lord, you are putting this thing back the way it ought to be, the way it was meant to be, the way it is supposed to be. So Jesus, we lean in on that and wait for that second advent. We're thankful, oh Lord, thankful for the first advent, the first coming, the first reality, the cross that forgave us from our sins and the cross that made us alive and the resurrection that made us alive and now we are awaiting Jesus for your worldwide global return. But everything that's the way it's supposed to be. Jesus, we love you. Praise you, Jesus Christ.